0: Uh, so, but I want you to take your Bible tonight and, and go with me to the book of Genesis, if you would, please. And I want you to go to chapter number 10 of Genesis, please. Chapter number 10 of Genesis. You know, there's one nighttime service recorded in the New Testament that I know of. It's in the 20th chapter of the book of Acts. And um, Paul preaches. How many of you think we ought to have a a Bible evening service. How many of you think you're to have a Bible evening service? How many? All right. All right. So that's what, okay. Only one recorded. He preached till midnight. So if I get out before 1150, you ought to be happy, all right? And, uh, but uh, I'll try not to hold you to midnight. Boy, that sun comes shining in that window right there, don't it? I bet you it didn't do that last week. Uh, but that time change done messed things up. All right, uh, we've we've started two churches, and God's been good. At our church, we planted six churches in the 25 years. I've been the pastor. I've been there 41 years. And I served on staff 16. And uh, we planted two churches in Honduras, and, and they passed Daylight Savings Time in Honduras, but they only had it one cycle. They said it messed up the cows, it messed up the chicken, they didn't know when to lay eggs, they didn't know, cows didn't know when to get up, the vegetables didn't know when to grow, and so they, they said, man, we ain't going to do that no more. I mean, in Honduras, and said, no way we going to change your time. All right, it messed the whole system up, all right? But uh, I like this time. How many of you like the daylight savings time? I like this time. I like it when, it when the sun's still shining late at night. I like that. Matter of fact, during the summer, I like to go north where it stays up to 9, 10 o'clock. And uh, our teenagers this past summer went to Homer, Alaska on their missions trip. And I think the sun was down three hours every night. They they said at eleven o'clock it's like noon, and uh, I don't know if I could take that or not. But anyway, because when it got to the winter time, it'd be three hours of sunlight, right? So, you found Genesis chapter ten. I was just letting Pastor find, have time to get it, and so, um, but Genesis chapter ten. Now, if you've looked at Genesis chapter ten already, you're thinking, what in the world? I know what Genesis 10 is. Genesis 10 is the chapter when you started reading through the Bible one year, and you may have done it this year, and you read Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9, and it was a lot of action, and you got to 10, you said, huh? You, you may not even read chapter 10, right? You may have just, okay, a bunch of them people had a bunch of them people. But but you know what I believe? I believe every word in the Bible is inspired. And I believe every word in the Bible has something to say to us. So I want you to let the Lord speak to you from this chapter. If you're able to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, I invite you to stand. Genesis chapter number 10, we'll begin reading verse number 1. Just for the sake of time, we'll not read the entire chapter, but I'll read down through some passages I want you to see and we'll come back and look at it together. Verse 1 says, Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood, the sons of Japheth, Gomer, and Magog and Madi, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshach, and Tyrez, and the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, and um, Rehath, and Togomar and the sons of Javan, Elisha, and Tarshish, and Kittim, and Dodonim. Aren't you glad your mama named you George? <laughs> <laughs> whoo now verse number 5, By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue and after their families in their nations. And then verse 6 starts off, And the sons of Ham, and if you'll go down to verse number 20, and it says, And these are the sons of Ham, after their families, after their tongues, in their countries and in their nations. And then verse 21 says, Unto Shem, And if you'll go down to verse 31 and read, These are the sons of Shem, after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. And the final verse of the chapter says, These are the families of the sons of Noah, after their generations, in their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. There's a genealogist, not a Christian, not a believer, but a very worldwide renowned authority on the ancient world. His name is William F. Albright. And, and, and this is what he said about this chapter of the Bible. He said, it stands absolutely alone in ancient literature Without a remote parallel, even among the Greeks, where we find the closest approach to the distribution of peoples in genealogical framework, this table of nations remains an astonishingly accurate document. What we have here in Genesis chapter number 10 is we have the dispersions of people across the planet After the flood. And every one of us in this room tonight could trace our lineage back to either Ham, Shem, or Japheth. And from this table of nations tonight, I want the Lord to speak to us about a world that is perishing. Would you bow your heads right where you are? Would you ask God to help you tonight through His Word and by His Spirit? You know, I believe God's blessings on this service or any service is found at the intersection of Truth Avenue and Submission Street. As God's truth is preached and we submit to His truth, then we can know His blessings. And I believe all of us, if we were given opportunity, would testify tonight, I want the blessings of God. I want to know the blessings of God then what we have to do is listen to the truth and submit ourselves to it, whatever he speaks to us individually. Father, I pray that for these next few moments you'd help me as the preacher. May I be faithful to the text. May I be true to your word. May I tonight be used of your spirit. I don't want to preach in my power, my strength, my ability. I yield myself to you as best I know how, and I give myself to you for these moments and I want to be a spirit-filled preacher. But I want these people who know Christ tonight to be spirit-filled listeners. I pray tonight that as much as I want to preach in the spirit, they'll want to listen in the spirit. And I pray that tonight you would take your word. This passage, really, one of those passages probably we have ever never paid much attention to. But I pray for these next few moments you'll focus our hearts and our minds not only on this word but on a world that is perishing without Jesus tonight, may you challenge us afresh and anew to do our part to reach this world with the gospel. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Would you please be seated? As I just read a few moments ago, Dr. William F. Albright said, there is no piece of ancient literature that can compare with this explanation of the distributions of people across the planet because the truth is from a biblical perspective this chapter links all of history after the flood with all of history before the flood and just so you know I do believe that was a universal worldwide flood that destroyed everything on the planet and only eight precious souls survived and from those eight precious souls God populated the world and he gives us here a very clear explanation as to what this list is would you look back please at verse number 5 he says the gentiles divide in their lands after their tongue after their families in their nations. That same explanation is given in verse number 20 and that same explanation is given in verse number 31 because God is recording for us the dispersions of all people after the flood around the planet. And what we have before us in this passage tonight is the movement not just of people but of nations and of ethnicities and of all people everywhere. I believe that this is not just a great lesson on genealogy. This is a great lesson on history. But more than that, it is a way for us to be challenged tonight in this Monday night of missions conference about what you and I should be doing in getting the gospel to a world that is in such desperate need of that gospel. So I want you to see two Thoughts in this passage tonight with me. First of all, I want you to see the list. It's very clear that there are three distinct lists that are given here in our text. Here in the 10th chapter of Genesis, their first list begins in verse number two, the sons of Japheth, and that list concludes in verse number five. Even though it's the smallest, the shortest, the least detail of the three sons of Noah, the reality is that the descendants of Japheth describe the largest amount of people on the planet when it comes to both population and places. I believe they're dealt with first because they would be the distant nations from the land of Israel. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to picture the land of Israel right here on a map. Let's make it a flat map. We know the world's not flat. Did you know scientists didn't know that till a few hundred years ago? But, but if they'd have just read Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 22, says the Lord sitteth upon the circle of the earth. If they'd have just read the Bible 700 years before Christ was born, 2700 years ago, the Bible declared that the world was a round sphere, but they couldn't figure it out. Isn't it amazing how much God's way ahead of what's going on? And can I tell you, that's still true in 2023. (laughs) I know, I know, we think, oh no, we know everything there is. No, no, we don't. (laughs) And so listen, let's take this flat map and let's put that little nation of Israel. You know what that nation is, at least a little bit about it. It's about 100 miles long, about 30 miles wide. I'm going there again in November. This will be my third time to that wonderful land of Israel. And it's a a blessed land. It is the the apple of God's eye. It is is the center of the universe as far as God is concerned. So so we're going to take that little land of Israel and we're going to put it right here in the middle of the world map. That little land, 30 miles wide, 100 miles long. And we're going to to look at all these other people in relationship to that little land. So where are the descendants of Japheth? The descendants of Japheth are north and west. North and west. What what you and I tonight would would know as Europe, North America, South America, Central America, that that, that is the land of the Japhethites, that which is north and west of the land of Israel. It's interesting that these people are identified in verse number 5 with the title Gentiles. Gentiles. If you know anything about the New Testament, you know that basically there was a continuing battle going on between the Jew and the Gentile. And one of the things Paul declared over and again that in Christ Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, neither rich nor poor. In Jesus Christ, we're all one. Isn't that a wonderful thought? I'm so glad tonight, you know, we we don't do it every Sunday, but on Missions Conference Sunday, we call it International Sunday, and and we recognize every birth country in our auditorium. So if you were to have been there this past September, that's our Missions Conference on a Sunday morning, I think this past year we had 28 nations represented in our auditorium. People born in 28 nations, which doesn't even count our Spanish, would be another 12 or 15 nations. So on a normal Sunday morning at Beacon Baptist Church, there's somewhere around 35 to 40 Forty-five different nationalities of people isn't it amazing God's brought the world to our doorstep and so so these people are north and they're west they're they're Gentiles they're the Anglo-Saxons they're the Russians, they're the Germans, they're the Spaniards They're, they're the Greeks and God said about them, I want you to look at it, look up in chapter 9 verse 27 through Noah this is what God said He said, God shall enlarge Japheth and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant. Now we'll get to all of that understanding in a moment, but notice the phrase, God shall enlarge Japheth. Tonight on planet earth, the Japhethites occupy more land and have more people than any of the other three Sons of Noah, out of the eight billions of souls living on planet Earth, the great majority, the large majority of them are Japhethites. Now the second list is found in verse number six. It is the sons of Ham. And that list concludes in verse number 20 with the statement, these are the sons of Ham. So so here's Israel right here in the middle of the map. The Japhethites are north and west. Where, where are the Japhethites at? Come on now, class. If you'll participate, I'll be quicker. All right. We'll get out 1158. Okay, come on now. Here we go. So here's, the, here's Israel. Japhethites north and west. Where, where, are the, where are the Hamites? The Hamites are south and east. They're south and east. They're, 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 the, they're, they're Asia. They're They're Africa the Far East, the Middle East, the Near East. They, they are the, the, well, they're in the list. We won't look at them, but, but they're in the list. They're, they're the Canaanites, verse number 15 says. Uh, they're, they're, the, they're, they're the Philistines. They're, they're listed there. Um as a matter of fact, there's a bunch of them, aren't they? Look at verse 16. They're the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Shinites, the Ardivites, the uh, Zemorites, the Hathaites. And all them other parasites. Um, but anyway, and, and so, but, but, but they're, they're the people that are south and east of Israel. They were, in that day, they were the movers and the shakers of the world. Go back up to chapter 9. We looked at it a moment ago, but go all the way up to verse 25. Noah, now you remember Noah's prophesying here. So God's given him this message, and he says in verse 25, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. And Canaan shall be his servant. And then we read verse 27, God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. We'll come to the Shemites in a moment. But, But notice the last statement, verse 27. And Canaan shall be his, what is that? Servant. So so what is Canaan? Canaan is the servant of the Shemites. Canaan is the servant of the Japhethites. So what does the most famous Hamite do? You're, You're there in chapter 10. Look at chapter 10. Look at verse number eight. And Cush begat Nimrod. Who was Nimrod? Look at it. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter, before the Lord. Now, what in the world is wrong with hunting? You say, I'm a hunter. Well, that's not what he's talking about. He ain't interested in Bambi. That that word hunter there, matter of fact, you know what the word, the, the name Nimrod means? It means to rebel. That, that word hunter is implying that Nimrod took the sword of God's judgment. You remember, you remember after the flood, if you look back up, and we won't do it, but if you look back in the, uh, earlier in chapter 9 of Genesis, verse number 6, one of the things God did was he established government, and he established government to punish wrong. Matter of fact, there in 9, six, he says, if any man shed someone's blood, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, by, by man shall his blood be shed. He established capital punishment. And, and so Nimrod, because God had said, listen to me, because God had said, you and your descendants are going to be servants. No, 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 not Nimrod. He stood up and put his, shook his face in the fist of God and said, no, 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 I'm not going to be a servant. I'm going to be a battler. Not only did he he set out to be a battler, he set out to be a builder. He wanted to be an empire maker. Look there with me. Uh, You're there in verse number 10. Look at it. And the beginning of his, what's that next word? Kingdom. Kingdom. That sure doesn't sound like the word of a servant, does it? No, it doesn't. Because Nimrod said, I'm going to prove God wrong. We're not going to be servants. God had no right to make us servants. So he built a kingdom. What was the kingdom? Babel. You know about it. Chapter 11. Now, Echad, Echad, Kalna, in the land of Shinar. You know where Shinar is? Iraq. Iran. Isn't it amazing? The Bible's as current as this morning's newspaper. Matter of fact, Saddam Hussein said he was going to rebuild the gardens of Babylon. Babylon's in the land of Shinar. It's a land of rebellion. It's a land of building. They they were the movers and the shakers of the ancient world. Why? Because they set out to prove God wrong. The Stalins, the Lenins, the Hitlers, Isn't it amazing? Look at that next verse 11. Out of that land went forth Asher and builded Nineveh. What's Nineveh? Nineveh is the land that God loves so much he sent Jonah down to preach a message. Jonah didn't love the Ninevites, but God loved the Ninevites. God sent Jonah down to the land of Nineveh to preach and he preached 40 days and it's gonna be overthrown and perhaps the greatest evangelistic crusade the world's ever known, 600,000 or more people were saved in that 40 days. They turned to the Lord God, Jehovah. You know why? Because God loved them. You can hate God all you want to. It will never change how He feels about you. He loves you. No greater declaration of that than the third chapter of John's gospel in verse 16. For God so loved the world. That's the Ninevites. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So so we've seen the Japhethites, they're what? They're what of Canaan or Israel? They're north and west. And we've seen the Hamites, they're south and east. Then it brings us to that little land. Verse number 21, unto Shem. It's the lengthiest. As a matter of fact, it's not only here in chapter 10, but if you go over to chapter 11, and after you read the first nine verses about the Tower of Babel and the dispersion of the people that all this is explaining you get to verse 10 in chapter 11 and it says these are the generations of Shem and those generations go all the way down through the end of chapter 11. Why is it the longest? If I can say this and all of us understand it, not in the context that God loves some people more than he loves others, but, but that's his people. It's the the Shemites that Abraham will come through. It's the Shemites that the Lord Jesus will come through. It's the Shemites who basically wrote the pages of the Bible. There's a few books here written by a Gentile, but most of them by a Shemite. So God spent the greatest amount of time explaining the history of, of the Shemites. Would you, I'll tell you what that says to me. That, that tells me that the story of God is a story of redemption. God, God, God is only in history, only interested in history from the perspective that it is His story. And His story is God loved us, sent His only begotten Son to die for us on the cross and because He died for us on the cross we can be born again and birthed into His family and live with Him forever. And He did it through the Shemites. The people who dwell in that little land 30 miles wide and 100 miles long. Matter of fact, it's there in verse twenty-one of our text that we're introduced to Eber. In it twenty-one, yes, it is Eber. That's where you get the word Hebrew from. So we see the list. Secondly, this evening, before we go home, I want us to see the lessons. What, what what would God want to teach us tonight from this table of nations? Let me give you four lessons quickly. Number one, our God is the Lord of all nations. You understand tonight that God's not just the creator, He's the controller. Paul said to the Colossians in chapter 1 that by him all things consist. All things are held together. If if God for a moment tonight withdrew his presence from this planet, it'd go into utter chaos. He is the Lord of all nations. And I'll tell you who the real mover and shaker is. (laughs) It's not the Hamites. It's Jehovah. He's the one who takes people and places them and puts them. As a matter of fact, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number 8 says, When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when He separated the sons of Adam, He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. In spite of everybody who's ever opposed God, He's still God. He still rules. He still reigns. And what he promises, he will perform. Lesson number one, our God is the Lord of all nations. Lesson number two, all nations on this earth belong to the same family. It's very evident when you read chapter 10 of the book of Genesis that all of these peoples of all of these lands, of all of these tongues, converge in one family, the family of Noah. It's declared in the New Testament with these words. It's Paul, the apostle, who is speaking in chapter 17 of, of Acts and he says, he hath made, talking about God, hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before, it, before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Do You understand tonight, there are not a bunch of races. I know we use that terminology. But in God's eye viewpoint tonight, he doesn't see a bunch of races of people. There are many ethnicities of people. I will admit that to you. As a matter of fact, that's what the word nations means in one of the recordings of the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Verse 19 says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. It's not talking about uh, uh, United States, Mexico, Canada. That has nothing to do with it. It's ethnicities of people. It's tracing them back to these, these three, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And God's made of all people one blood. A few years ago, when there was such a divide in our land, God just burdened my heart. We had some riots in Raleigh, and matter of fact, one night couldn't even have church because our mayor put a curfew on us on a Wednesday night. And and God just burdened my heart. And I told you a few moments ago, we have all nationalities. We average Sunday, we'll have eight, seven, eight. African countries in our auditorium. We'll have uh, three or four um, Asian countries. We'll have five to eight European countries, and and uh, two or three South American countries, and and um, and and so God just just burdened my heart. And so I I told our people, I said I'm I'm working on a I'm working on a sermon. I want you to pray. God will help me to be able to deliver it properly. And I said the title of the sermon is. Amazing grace for every race. And I got to studying. Brother Philip, it's amazing what the Bible will do to a sermon. It'll mess it up sometimes. And I stood up to our people on that Sunday night. I was going to deliver that message. And I said, listen to me. I asked you two or three weeks ago to pray for me. I was working on a message. Amazing grace for every race. I said, but God's put me in a deep conviction. There's not but one race. So I said, I'm now titling this sermon tonight, God's amazing grace for the whole human race. Listen to me. You you know who comes to divide? Satan. Jesus said he was a thief. He cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Listen to me. From this list tonight, we understand that our God is the Lord of all nations and we understand that all nations belong to the same family. Proverbs 22 says, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Number three lesson, God has a purpose for every nation to fulfill. God has a purpose for every nation to fulfill. Now I know and you know because we understand the Bible that God's chosen nation is the nation of Israel. But isn't it interesting throughout human history the last 6,000 or so years throughout human history God has used all kinds of nations. But what's really interesting what He's done He's used these nations to affect that little nation of Israel. You think with me a moment. The most powerful nations on the planet tonight that have existed in the last 6,000 years all had some kind of relationship with Israel. Egypt. They went down there and lived on their land for a little while, 400 years. Ethiopia. The Romans, they occupied them. The Greeks. The the great uh, Medo-Persian Empire. As a matter of fact, God's used some of the most powerful people on the planet to affect the nation of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, Cyrus. He, he told Cyrus to give them the, give them the goods that, that Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple and give them the money and all they needed to go back and build the temple. As far as I know, Cyrus wasn't a, wasn't a God-fearer. Even Augustus Caesar. He made a declaration that all the world should be taxed. Why? So that we could get Jesus born in Bethlehem where Micah said he was going to be born at. See, see God has a purpose for every nation to fulfill. And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not making a political statement, so if you think this is a political statement, it's not. But I'm going to tell you what. One of the reasons America has known the good hand of God It's because we've treated that little nation of Israel the right way. And and you know what what God told Abraham? He said, I'll bless those that bless you. And I'll curse those that curse you. I I, I fear, I fear for our nation if if we ever, if we ever turn against the nation of Israel. Because God's not through with Israel. 144,000 of them are going to be saved in the tribulation and they're going to go around the world with the gospel. Our God is the Lord of all nations and all people belong to the same family and God has a purpose for every, every nation, every ethnicity of people. But can I give you one last lesson? God loves all peoples in all the world. It's interesting. Sometimes people would try to persuade you and I that God's only interested in Israel. I've already debunked that by Nineveh a a few moments ago. But I'll tell you what's interesting. You make a study of it sometime. I think it's about almost 175 times these phrases are found in the Old Testament. All ye lands, all ye people, all nations. You know why? Because God wants to save everybody. God wants to bless everybody. God wants to use everybody. That, that's the reason that, that reference I meant, made a few moments ago in Matthew 28, 19, teach all nations, all ethnicities of people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And Jesus said, "Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Now, would you fast forward in your mind with me to the New Testament? We'll not take the time to go to the references. You look them up maybe tonight before you go to bed. But it's interesting to me. You remember the commission Jesus gave his disciples? In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He said, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And we know that happened on the day of Pentecost. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Both in anybody know where the first place is? Huh? Jerusalem, that's right. And in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Well, what's interesting is, and, and listen, I understand they, they knew persecution, okay? So I'm I'm not telling you I would have done any better than they did. But what's interesting from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 7. It's Jerusalem and Judea. But that's not what Jesus said. He said Jerusalem, all Judea, which is the southern part of the nation of Israel, Samaria, that's next door to them, and the uttermost part of the earth. So you go to Acts chapter 8, persecution is set in, Stephen has been stoned. And verse 4 says, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. I I honestly believe that they suffered that persecution because they weren't obedient to that commission. But but I'll tell you what's really interesting, pastor, is what happens right then what happens? The rest of chapter 8 basically deals with Philip, one of the original deacons, who was preaching in Samaria that God took him out into the desert in Gaza. God had a man from Ethiopia who was the, who was the treasurer of Candace the Queen's whole enlotment traveling through the desert, probably with a great entourage around him, riding in a chair, reading from Isaiah's scroll, and the Holy Ghost said to Philip, go join yourself to that man. Who is he? He's a Hamite. He's south and east of Israel. And Philip goes to that Hamite and he says, understandest thou what thou readest? He said, how can I except some man should guide me? Philip said, bingo, I'm here. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good setup to be a witness, right? <laughs> I love that question, the Ethiopian eunuch asked, Who speaketh the prophet of himself or some other man? Oh, and it says, and he preached unto him Jesus. And then he said, see here's water, what did he mean to be baptized? He said, nothing buddy, if you believe. He said, I believe. What, what do you have in chapter 8? You have a Hamite being born again. Go to chapter 9. Chapter 9, there's a man who's been involved in the stoning of Stephen's making his way from Jerusalem toward Damascus. He has letters in his hand from the Sanhedrin to go to Damascus and find anybody in Damascus, Syria who names the name of Jesus and bring them hand bound, hand and foot and bring them back to Jerusalem probably to kill them like they've killed Stephen. And what happens? God meets him. And a great light from heaven shone round about him. He said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And he said, what will you have me to do, Lord? He said, you go, to, you go back in, on into town and it'll be told you. Who is it? We know him as Paul, Saul, Tarsus. Who is he? He's a Shemite. He's a Jew. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Probably a member of the Sanhedrin. What did God do? God saved saved a Hamite in chapter 8. God saved a Shemite in chapter 9. We'll go to chapter 10. Peter's on top of a house gets in a trance. This big sheet comes down from heaven got all kind of unclean animals in it and he said, rise and eat. (laughs) He said, not so, Lord. Those words don't even go together, do they? Not so and Lord. They don't go together, but anyway. Not so, Lord. And he said, yeah. He said, there's a Somebody come to the door here, the man you're staying with, Simon the Tanner, here in Joppa. And uh, you're supposed to go with him. And Peter goes down and they're there from Cornelius' household. They spend the night. And the next day they take off Cornelius' home. When they get there, Peter gives the gospel. And Cornelius and his whole household are saved and baptized. Who are they? They're Japhethites. Wow. So so Jesus said, Ye shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the most part of the earth. And there it happened. And you know what? It's supposed to be happening Everywhere. Tonight God wants all people everywhere to be saved. But you know where we start at? We started Jerusalem. You know where Jerusalem is? Your street, your cul-de-sac, your apartment complex, your mobile home park. See, missions doesn't start across the sea. It starts across the street. It's not, God's not just concerned with around the world. God's concerned about the people around the corner. And God wants you and he wants me to be his witness to all the world. Most of us will never go and see all the peoples of all the world But I tell you what, we see people every day right where we live. Where we go to school, where we work. And God wants to use us to take the gospel to our friends, our family members, our neighbors, our coworkers, our acquaintances. People he'll just put in our path at Walmart. He's gone to heaven now, I think, because I haven't seen him since COVID. But I'll never forget the first time I met him. Mr. Lewis. I was at Walmart. My wife doesn't like going to Walmart. Tuesday's my day off, and so I go to Walmart. I was filling up my cart. Mr. Lewis, man, he was he was decked out. Coat and tie and a vest. He walked up to me. He said, sir, could I ask you a question? I said, yes, sir. He, what kind of question you want to ask me? He said, do you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? I said, well, I do. I said, well, my name's Tim. What's your name? And he told me his name, and I don't, can't can remember his first name, but his last name was Lewis because that's what I always called him, Mr. Lewis. He's probably in his 80s. And I said, Mr. Lewis, I'm a Christian. I told him how I got saved, March the 15th, 1970. I was raised in a home that my mom and dad knew the Lord, but I realized I couldn't go to heaven because my mom and dad were going. and God doesn't have grandchildren, just has children. And and uh, we got to talking. I, I, I probably ran into Mr. Lewis another five to seven times over the next two or three years. I haven't seen him now, probably. Like I say, probably last time would be pre-COVID. But I asked him that day, I said, uh, Do you do this very much? He said, yeah, about two or three days a week. I just walk through Walmart to see if people know Jesus. I said, wow. He said, I'm retired. Don't have much to do. But he said, I figure you can always tell somebody about Jesus. I said, well, Mr. Lewis, I'm going to pray for you. I prayed for him that day. I asked him, could I... Could we bow our heads and pray? I don't know anything else about him. He never visited my church. I don't even remember what church he told me he went to. But I know this. He understood that he was left here to tell somebody else about Jesus. And you know what? That's why you and I are left here. I began preaching yesterday Morning, preached yesterday morning, last night from Luke 15 on God's lost and found apartment. That's the reason we're left here. People are lost.